hey, what's up, Star Mindsets? There's another fun episode of the show. We got a really cool founder today and by way of just connection through Earl. And he's got such a cool company. It's named Hollow AI. People like you and me learn a new language through their app, which you can download on the App Store and the Google Play Store. I'm just really excited to dive deep into the space and because learning a new language is something that I've done before. And I know that through the test scores that I received, like wasn't always <laughs> wasn't, wasn't always a pleasant experience, but it's really fun. And I know that for a person who doesn't know, let's say French or Chinese, learning that would be such an obstacle. Today we've got Junbe, the CEO of Hollow AI. And just want to say, Jun, thanks for the time today. I'm excited to talk about what you've made and who you are. Yeah, thanks, Dan, for the time. Really excited to share what we're working on and what we're trying to accomplish as a company. Yeah, man. I know that, you know, from a glance that the company seems really interesting where like there's all these cool colors. And, you know, if you go to like a social media page, you'll see people explaining how to speak a new language. But I think a great starting point would just be to start off with like, tell me a little bit about June, you know, what's your favorite food or things like that. Absolutely. So I'm from Korea. So I was born and raised there and my family moved out to Utah about 15 years ago. So first half in Korea, second half here in the U.S. So language learning has been my passion where I had to learn English growing up, learned a little bit of Chinese and Japanese and currently learning Spanish right now. So really exciting. And I just love Asian food in general. I like Mexican food as well. I started cooking some American food especially like steak. I like <laughs> to cook burgers as well. And I think I'm pretty good at making burgers. So I'm really excited to share that with my friends and stuff. So yeah. Do you think the Korean food tastes better in Korea? Or would you say Koreatown in LA can give it a run for its Ooh. <laughs> I just saw Netflix on that and they said <laughs> somebody. Yeah, said. it really depends. LA definitely has got some good food as well as San Francisco. Korea definitely has more variety, I would say. I think the food in LA is really good, but maybe it doesn't provide as much variety. In Korea specifically, I mean, you can access all Korean food you're wanting to try, but I think in LA, options are kind of limited. But the food is amazing. Oh, man, yeah. Don't get me uh, into <laughs> a, lot, a lot of those Korean barbecues in LA. They're one of a kind, right? Like, you know, cook in front of you and mm -hmm. eat with your yeah. friends. Get rid of the chef. <laughs> I know that. Just, I guess, like interesting foray to that. You had the idea for Hollow, correct me if I'm wrong, but it might have been when you were a consultant at Deloitte or one of those big fours. And I think somebody said like, oh, you could be the Uber for learning a new language or something like that. But then I also read the article where you talked about you were on a car to LA from San Francisco and you were in mm -hmm. the car spitballing these ideas with maybe your family or friends. Yeah, and... with my sisters. Oh, really? Yeah. We're yeah. just talking... Throughout the drive, you know, we're just driving all the way from San Francisco to LA. And that's when I just had the idea of Hollow and I just started talking about it. And then I just noticed that I kept talking, which means I'm very passionate about it. So after the trip, I think I've made the decision to take a leap of faith and go for it. What was it, would you say, that was maybe happening on the freeway or Highway 5 that you really resonated with that idea? Because I think like a lot of people don't have They'll have ideas, but then they'll run into the brick wall of, oh, yeah, we have to raise money for this, or we have to find employees, or have to make sure that this creates revenue, and it's just not like a funny thing that we discussed. For me, entrepreneurship had been in my mind for quite a bit of time. So my dad is an entrepreneur. So even in college, I always wanted to start my own business. So like one time I was 
considering dropping out of college and starting my own company, but I just felt like I was not in the right position. I had to take care of my visa issues and everything. So I decided to get a job in San Francisco or in the Bay Area to get some more experience, work with startups and tech companies. And after working with some and getting some good thoughts, I was able to come up with a good idea. I think before this experience, I just didn't have an idea that I was very passionate about or the problem that I wanted to like solve. But when I came up with this problem or solution, I guess, I just resonated with it a lot as an immigrant where when I was in Korea, I thought my English was fantastic. You know, I was getting good grades. My grammar was good. My reading skills were good. But as soon as I arrived here in the U.S., I realized I didn't really know how to communicate and speak with native tutors or native speakers. So that's when I realized the difference between learning a new language and being able to communicate in the language. And we wanted to provide a solution that solves that problem where the majority of language learners spend their time in their textbooks and not speaking. So we wanted to provide all language learners with opportunities to speak and practice. So I guess that experience has been piling up where I always wanted to start my own company, but I feel like I was not in the right position since I didn't have the right idea. But when I faced this problem that I wanted to solve, that's when I got super excited. And <laughs> I'm the type of person who's like, when I'm excited, I just go for it without thinking too much about it. That could be a weakness. That could be a strength. If I could go back, I would probably do it in a different way. But it just helped me start. And starting is half of that also. I'm glad I started it. Absolutely. What would you say, June? I know there's like other things that exist, like uh, Rosetta Stone or... Duolingo. Duolingo. Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. What's the difference, Maker, with your company and you know the products that you guys have or services too? Yeah. So the main difference that we provide and is, is the speaking component. So we want language learners to be able to practice and speak anytime, anywhere at the click of a button in three seconds. So Duolingo, Rosetta Stone, like schools are great ways for language learners to learn the basics. They learn new grammar, new words, new phrases, but you don't really get to speak to somebody. So we're providing that immersion experience and providing language learners with opportunities to speak anytime, anywhere. So speaking is our main focus compared to the basics or the foundation of language. How does it work, by the way? So I would, for instance, I, I download the app, but you mm -hmm. know, once you download the app, is it you click the language like French or something? And then once you click that, is there a live person or is it like an AI bat? Or how, um, yeah, how so it? you're talking with an AI computer. So you choose your language and then based on your level, if you click on the main button on the home page, it will take you to a call page where you're literally having a face-to-face -face conversation with an AI tutor. And it's pretty fast where the response time is less than a second. So as soon as you speak in French, let's say, the AI will respond back in French. So you're having a conversation. And yeah. also, if there's any words that you don't know, you can like tap on a word to see the translation of it in your native language and vice versa. So it's a fun way to practice and speak on the way home, on the way to work. But as you can see, it, it's all about speaking and communication. So our target audience is mainly language learners that have some basics that are just wanting to practice and speak. Oh, wow. 
By basics, do you mean like they can say a couple sentences or? Yeah, they know the alphabets and they can say a couple sentences. They know some sort of grammar, but they don't really have the chance to live in a different country. Or you're wanting to travel to Italy, for example, mm-hmm. but you haven't spoken before, then you can like practice and speak on our platform before you actually go to the country. And it's actually like I would talk directly to the app and the app would say something. Yeah, it's literally uh, you're having a conversation. It's pretty cool. You should try it. Yeah, <laughs> I should. I had a friend who told me it was in Japan and I was like, oh, yeah, check this out and check out this thing called Hollow AI. I haven't caught up with him, but I can only imagine, right? They just go into a new country and not knowing how mm-hmm. to say it. You end up lost, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess Jim, there's probably like at least 100 languages in the world, right? How do you create the technology for this? Just wondering, because it seems like it's a very novel thing to have. It hasn't existed exactly before, right? Yeah. So I believe we're the first mover in this industry doing face-to-face real-time conversations with an AI tutor. I do have a couple companies in my mind that have tried before just for English specifically, but it wasn't like a face-to-face conversation, I would say, with an avatar. But the new technologies that recently came out, you know, including ChatGPT and all these new APIs, uh, really allowed us to be able to tap into this huge new product. I would say. So let's say even two years ago, or maybe about a year ago, if you were to build all these AI components and like algorithms and things like that, for all the languages we offer, it would have taken years and millions of dollars to build. But we're leveraging a lot of technologies out there. And now I believe AI is democratized. So anybody has access to it. What makes our product different is not just the AI, but also what we do with it. So we're training the AI in a way that it's able to talk about any topics. We cover hundreds of different topics based on your level. And we're also personalizing it so that the AI will know who you are, where you're from, what your interests are. So the conversations are going to be more curated for you. So those are some of the areas we've been working on, on top of the AI we offer. So a lot of people might think that, oh, anybody can do this company or this product, but there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but we're happy that we're the first one doing it. I'm sure there are other companies that will emerge, but we're super excited to continue to innovate and, and be the first mover. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge... Uh... June, I was going to say, I was reading in that article too, I think it was like Provo Business Times or something like that. You didn't have like a, I guess you want to call it the technical background, like with somebody mm-hmm. codes, the, like software engineering. The history of the company, right, was made in 2017, or you had this created? So I had the idea in 2017. We launched in 2019. So it took a little bit of time. Uh, long story short, I had some visa complications. Yes, I <laughs> had to leave out of the country because I had some visa complications. So it took about a year for me to figure it out. So we started in 2019, and then lots of different products. We started with like the WhatsApp model where you're able to like send messages and call each other with other language learners. Oh, wow. And then we introduced live streaming. So we became the Twitch for language learning where teachers and students can stream anytime and practice together in a group setting. And then we grew to like millions of users, hundreds of thousands of active users using every month, but we couldn't find a good way to monetize it and build a sustainable business. So we pivoted to the Uber model that I had the original idea of. And that was working fairly well, but that's when I realized that maybe there's too much competition doing what we're exactly doing. 
from other bigger corporations. You know, there are other mm-hmm. language learning platforms that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was really hard for us to compete with them with the previous models. So we pivoted into this AI component and we're all in on AI right now. And that's why I feel like, wow, we're very unique. We're the first mover. If the tutoring platforms that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars come and do exactly what we offer, they're only sabotaging themselves because they're going to have to replace their human tutors with AI, which is essentially their core product. So I don't think they're going to be able to do exactly what we do. I'm pretty sure they will leverage AI to enhance their core services with human tutors. But I do think we're very unique in a way that we're providing AI tutors, not human tutors, and then providing other tools that they can use to have a better experience. There might be some implications from maybe Duolingo, maybe some other big corporations, but competition is inevitable. So we're trying to focus on our own customers right now. Man, that's awesome. One thing, June, I was wondering too, like, you know how maybe I'm in, or people, they're not technical founder, like they don't have skills necessarily to build a product for you. How come that didn't stop you, right? Like, or how come that wouldn't get deter you from creating not only the company, but the product, uh, people there and raising money, all those things? Yeah, so that was actually my biggest challenge when I started. So I don't have a technical background. I understand tech and I can communicate for that, but I'm not an engineer by training. So I spent a lot of money and time working with other engineers, just trying to figure out how to build a product because I didn't really know how to build a product before. Um, But just after lots of trial and error, I've learned how to work with engineers. That was a good experience. And then, for example, I hired a dev shop and spent Uh tens of thousands of dollars to build an MVP. didn't work. I hired a friend from a big corporation in California. I can't mm-hmm. say which company, but because it will indicate who that is. But that I worked with a lot of engineers. And then at the end of the day, I realized I really needed a technical co-founder to build a tech company. But we were running out of money. So when I was at Y Combinator for their startup school, they gave us some really good advice, which was, hey, instead of trying to fundraise right now, you should find a technical co-founder. So my whole focus became that. And I started reaching out to a lot of engineers. I would say I probably have reached out to like 95% of the engineers in Utah. <laughs> um, and I've, I've literally reached out to, I would say even thousands of engineers. And it was really hard to convince someone to quit their cushy job and you know join a startup that has nothing. So it took me, I would say actually... Like, I don't want to say it, but it took me two years to find a very good engineer for us to work with. So it actually took a couple of steps. I would say we worked with a decent engineer. We worked with a dev shop. We worked with a decent engineer. And then we just kept going and going. But the good news was that we were able to work with better engineers every time. So over time, we were finally able to work with some great engineers. And that's when I think things started taking off and making good progress with our product. No way. That's a lot of people to convince, right? I got to ask you too, Jim, how do you compare and contrast doing the entrepreneurial job? Because it is a job, right? Whether mm-hmm. even you don't have money and nobody's paying you because you're running out of money and you can't pay yourself because you have to mm-hmm. pay for the software mm-hmm. stack, the other employees. When you're at that stage, can you, I wouldn't say compare that to your previous job at, I mean, Deloitte or some other, any job you've had, right? Where 
there's a structure mm-hmm. where you've got the boss in front of you or their boss and they're paying you when it's already mm-hmm. established versus, you know, you make something from scratch and you try to make something exist and have it be structured when there really is no structure. Can you compare and contrast or just tell me about how you experience those things uniquely in your uh, your career? Yeah, so I've worked for some big corporations and those experiences have been great. I enjoyed my times at big corporations and working with amazing, smart people. I was getting paid fairly well, had an amazing team. So they take care of pretty much everything and your job is to just perform and provide what you sign to offer and potentially more, maybe like 120%, 150%, as much as you can. You try to create and provide value as much as you can. But running your own startup is a completely different story, right? You have to, you're the one paying your employees, (laughs) taking care of your customers. Sometimes I feel like I literally have 20 different jobs. For example, I'm the product manager, UX, UI designer, sales, fundraising, finance, all the different components of business. And of course, as you get bigger, as you start hiring people, you will be able to hire people for those components. But when you're especially getting started, when you don't have a lot of resources, you're the one running and doing pretty much everything as, as much as you can. So it could be overwhelming, but at the same time, it's really fun because every day is different. Sometimes you do this and you do this. So you never get bored, which <laughs> is really exciting to me. But at the same time, it could be overwhelming where, wow, like I have so many hats to wear. So it does have pros and cons, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it. It affects your personal life too, right? Whether you want to yeah. buy a house or move out or it's a very stressful, but rewarding. I would say, June, just, I guess, like to go on that thought about, you had mentioned you were, you had to be forced to leave the country, but then you found your way back in. And I even read the article mm-hmm. where you got the citizenship or what do you call it? Just authority Green to come cars. back. Green cards. Yeah. <laughs> and you were like, you hugged the guy who gave you the test. <laughs> in all the moments of the company that you've had, like, I guess that one was really special, but what do you think was another one, maybe you call it a milestone, that, that you guys were, had a similar feeling where, you know, it was jumping for joy? Because uh, I tell that there's a lot of growth and it happens to all the entrepreneurs who get somewhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, startups are lots of ups and downs. Someday it's a good day, someday it's a bad day. And one another joy that I really enjoyed was when we were able to present our company at a very big conference called Silicon Slopes in Utah. There were tens of thousands of people in that conference. And when we were presenting our company, there were about 3,000 people watching. It was such a cool moment where you were able to present your product to thousands of people and you just have a great time. So that was a big joy for us. And fundraising also is a good joy where when you're able to raise a good amount, then you celebrate because you can take a break a little bit and breathe, right? Because you can finally pay yourself. We can hire teams. So I think those are some of the moments that I really enjoyed. And just spending some good time with the teams that you work with as well. So those are some definitely good moments. And when you like onboard new clients, those are also really exciting as well. Yeah, that's awesome. One thing I want to ask you, June, is like, when did you feel like the idea had enough traction that you started to believe in it more? Because I think like as an entrepreneur myself or as people, as I've seen in the world, 
they have the idea. And I guess that's really fun to mess around with tinkering on a product. But mm-hmm. once it becomes something that somebody uses or pays you for, mm-hmm. there's that different level of business responsibility or there's different things on the line, like your reputation or you want to call it the mm-hmm. company's future. When was like that moment for you that you realized like Hollow could be something bigger than just that idea or something that would change your life? Yeah, I think it comes down to the problem we're solving. So I'm not like a hundred percent married to the idea that we offer. That's why we pivoted multiple times and we still exist. Partially because I do believe that there's a huge problem of finding opportunities to speak and becoming fluent as a language learner. And because I know how big the market is and how big the problem is, and when I look at all these competitors, they're offering some solutions, but it's again, it's way too expensive. You know, you spend 20 to $30 You're per right. hour to have a <laughs> lesson with a native tutor, or you have to book a lesson. So it's not convenient. It's really costly. So we wanted to build a product that's less costly and a lot faster where you can practice in any time in a very affordable way. So because I know that there's a huge market, there's a huge problem, there are some solutions, but they don't really provide the best solutions. So I do feel like there's a big shot for us. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the things that just keep us going, where if I thought, holy cow, there's a huge competition, there's already a couple companies doing what we're offering, then maybe I would have not continued. But because I feel like there's still a huge opportunity that we can tap into, those hopes and ideas have helped us continue to keep going. Wow, that's amazing. I think just because somebody has an idea, but they have that conviction, and I guess like you just saw that there's a lot of people who have that problem that I guess, fueled you even more to want to solve that. What do uh, some people who use Holo say about Holo? Or... Yeah, I mean, language learning is directly tied to people's careers and dreams, especially in different countries. A lot of people say, hey, we got a job or I was able to start a company. Now I'm in Australia, for example. Not me, specifically, but like a user, right? So there's tons of cool stories And that's one of the reasons why we continue building our product, because we're helping people's lives. And language learning, I believe, can change people's lives, because it did for me. If I didn't speak English, for example, I would not be able to communicate with you right now and and be able to communicate what I think clearly with the world. So we're super happy that we have a noble mission and excited to continue to build what we're building. Yeah. So we're just we're stoked. People call it like marketing or user acquisition. Did you have like any cool go-to-market strategies for that? Or just, I guess, like things that you did that were... Because, you know, you'd see the big competitors, they have a lot Mm. of budget for that. But maybe as like a startup, you don't. Did you just play around with TikTok or how does that go? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so social media played a big role as a consumer product. So we started as a consumer product where, for example, I was literally interviewing thousands of people on Facebook. So what I realized was... I wanted to focus on the English learning market because that's the market that I knew the best. And there are more than 1.5 billion English learners throughout the world. So I wanted to focus on that market. And I was thinking about different marketing funnels. And one of them was social media because we're in the U.S., but English learners are outside of the U.S. So we essentially had to focus on social media as I was tapping into different markets. 
or different social media platforms, I realized that there were over 50 million English learners on Facebook alone looking for opportunities to speak. So if you go to Facebook, search English groups or whatever, you see thousands of groups on Facebook. So we joined all of them, started interviewing them and noticing some patterns from those groups. And one of them was they were looking for opportunities to speak with other language learners, which was interesting. So when we launched a feature called Instamatch that connects student to student, our product started growing very rapidly. So that virality with our product really helped. And at the same time, we were growing our community on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. We have, I think, more than a million followers on Facebook all organically. So we just grow by providing content. It's easy for us where we just provide content that's helpful for English learners. So we teach lessons and then people just find it valuable and come to us. And we were encouraging them to try out the product and use it. So that's how we started our conversion first. And then we were tapping into other marketing areas, but we still don't have a lot of resources. And now we're tapping into B2B. So it's a whole different market, but we're getting really good traction with B2B as well. Uh, At the end of the day, I feel like if your product is not something people want, you are going to have a very hard time getting traction. So as a founder, I think we have a tendency to be very optimistic. Like We just believe in our vision and we just want to go for it. But at the end of the day, you just need to be realistic and evaluate your situations objectively. And that's one of the reasons why we pivoted many times where We did our best to test out our hypothesis and they were working some ways. We were having, let's say one of our products, we were having millions of users, but we just couldn't find a way to monetize it or build a sustainable business. So we had to bite the tongue and ditch the product because we knew that it was not going to be a strong business. And we're not here to build a multi-million dollar business. We want to shoot for, you know, the moon because we're backed by VCs. So we're always shooting for a product that could be able to have hundreds of millions of people using our product. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big thing in VC, right? Like they want to see that. How do you get to 100 million in revenue? And I guess yeah. I did work as a VC before, so I kind of understand you, that. You understand that. <laughs> they do bring the, they do embody that whole word, right? Venture capitalists, where it's, you do something adventurous and with that word, you capitalize an idea. <laughs> but we just felt like, you know, our expenses were skyrocketing, but we just couldn't cover the costs with our own profits and things like that. Um, so that was a hard lesson for me where before I just wanted to build the biggest community for language learners. So we were growing, but again, we wanted to build a business, but we couldn't find a way. So we had to like move mm-hmm. away from the component. So if I were to start over, and that's exactly what we're doing, which is if you want to build a company, I think you should probably focus on building a business, not building a like I think a, this... an audience or a community where people are not willing to pay. So I, guess. <laughs> I think there's a huge difference between building a huge community versus building a huge community that is willing to pay for your service. And I think as a founder, you should not shy away from charging because if you feel like your product is valuable, then you should be willing to pay, charge and people should be willing to pay. So that's what we're trying to, to focus on right now. I remember I interviewed somebody, he said, the right client will pay you. And I think that mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, you want to sell to, or you want everybody to use your thing, but 
then again, not everyone can really use it if there's a detriment to, you know, it's all for free, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. One thing, June, I want to know is how do you think people go about learning a language differently, right? Because I think, let's say, if culturally, I grew up in South America and spoke Spanish yeah. and didn't know English. But that might be completely different from somebody who grows up in Asia and wants to learn English, right? Um, do you think that they approach learning a new language in sort of a, I would say, like a, just a open-mindedness? or is it? Because I learned a language in school, but I never really learned outside of school something that you've made, which is technology. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they learn new languages, that there's so many ways to learn a language that there's not really one proven way that they do it? Or do you advocate for like, just use the app and that's how you learn? Or what do you think? Yeah, I think there's many different ways to learn new languages, but the best way is by looking at how actual babies and humans learn their native languages, right? So when you're born, you're surrounded by your parents and you start interacting with them by listening and then repeating and then you're interacting with them and you're able to see those objects visually and you're starting to connect those objects with words and starting to hear. So reading kind of and writing come after you learn the basics and like listening and speaking, I feel like. But a lot of language learners start with the opposite. They learn how to read. They learn how to write. Partially, it was because it was really hard for organizations to provide opportunities to communicate and speak. Because unless you are interacting with native tutors in school, you don't really have the chance. So I think that's why we have developed a way of learning that way, especially in different countries. Like when I was in Korea, I spoke none of English. Like I literally didn't speak English, but I was learning English a lot. I remember spending $3,000 per year just learning English. And I wasn't the only one I knew. Like everyone I knew was investing so much in learning English. I think there's many different ways to learn new languages, but personally, and it's also based on research where if you want to learn new languages in the most effective way, you need to immerse yourself in the culture. You need to be interacting and communicating in the language you're learning so that you're not just learning in textbooks, but visualizing and using it in a practical way. So that's what we're trying to offer where Not everybody has the capacity to live in a different country or move to the U.S. to learn specific languages. But nowadays, technologies could offset and provide some of those opportunities. So we're kind of tapping into that and see if we can provide those immersive experiences to people that are not able to afford or people that are not able to have the time to live in a particular country. Yeah, June, what what do you think it is that makes people want to learn a new language, right? Because it -hmm. could be really daunting, you know? Mm-hmm. People often get made fun of for saying words wrongly or mm-hmm. just, I feel like language is something that people try to either protect or like claim as their own, right? You'll even see it mm-hmm. maybe with slang, right? Like if you search, mm-hmm. <laughs> if somebody says slang in a certain way, like they're automatically mm-hmm. part of a group or identify with somebody. But I think words, right? I mean, I have English, mm-hmm. but I've always mm-hmm. noticed that words, it's, the words are everything, you know, the way you communicate. Communication's everything, just so subtle that we forget. But I guess like, the thing I want to hear from you is how do you unite so many people with the words or like with the, the app? Or because we can see it as a divisive thing, right? Because 
it just portrayed that way, I think, to me. But maybe that's not even completely true. But how do you go about offering so many different languages and having that person work with the thing that you guys made? Yeah, I think people have different reasons why they learn new languages. For me, I had to learn new languages for me to be able to come and survive in the U.S. And I just knew that learning English would open up so many doors and it would be the passport to new opportunities. So because I saw that as a huge opportunity, I was investing in it a lot. And I think it is like that for a lot of people, especially English learners in different countries. For people, for example, here in the U.S., are probably learning new languages for their hobbies or for fun. You know, they want to travel to different countries and they just want to use some phrases and things like that. Definitely, there are many different purposes. The major ones are for careers, for their dreams, for school, yeah. for fun, for travel. Some people learn new languages for their brain development. They just want to challenge their <laughs> brains and learn new words. So there are different ways to do it. but. I think there's a reason why the language learning market is huge. It's a $56 billion market where people spend tons of money investing in their language ability um, to speak and communicate. And language has been a big part of our humanity. It is part of who we are. It is part of our nation, for example, or people tie languages to their countries and their identities. And I think that's totally true. And even here in the U.S., people speak <laughs> differently, you know, even though it's the same language, people speak differently. So I'm just excited to see how the market plays out and excited to be part of this market and industry that's growing. Of course, we're not sure what's going to happen with AI. I'm sure there are technologies right now already available where you're when you're having a Zoom call, you speak your own native language and then it will speak a different language to that person. Um, So when we're having a conversation, I'm speaking, let's say, Korean, but on your end, I'm speaking English. Those technologies are already available. So I think the new technologies that just came out are going to probably shape the language learning market in a different way. But I still think that the world is getting smaller. And, you know, thanks to globalization and, and people in different countries have so many opportunities. As long as they know how to communicate uh-huh. properly and they have the right skill set, they can work for any company from any country. So that's one of the reasons why the market is growing. But I'm also curious to see how the technologies are going to affect the virtual economy. What do you think, Jun, was from the market perspective, what do you think it was about AI or recently that made AI so intertwined with the technology, right? Because when you started, I don't know if AI was that prevalent or popular to even have a startup in, right? But now it's like mm-hmm. oh, everything, what everyone wants mm-hmm. to talk about, but it seems like it's overhyped, at least. What do you think is AI's real impact on technology now? And yeah, just now because the future is just yeah. a guess for everyone, right? I think it definitely unlocks a lot of new opportunities for not only language learners, but also companies and startups, right? Because I mentioned Two years ago, or maybe about a year ago, if you were to build an AI company, you needed millions of dollars to start a company. But now, for you to start an AI company, you don't need any money, or you don't need any money to start off and, and get started. So I think the starting cost has tremendously decreased a lot, 
which means a lot of companies will emerge and a lot of startups will emerge with this AI industry. I think that's a good thing because before people wanted to try it, but it just requires a lot of knowledge and resources. But I think a lot of of that right now available. That's why we have so many companies emerging related to AI, and we are one of them. And partially, one of the reasons why I wanted to tap into this AI component is because I think timing is crucial for startups success. And when I look back and study the history of the markets, you know, 20 years ago, it was the internet. 10 years ago, it was was mobile. Now, I feel like it's AI. It's not Bitcoin. It's not, (laughs) you know, Web3. You can call it whatever, but I think it is AI that will shape the whole new startup world. So I wanted to ride the wave this time because I feel like I have been trying to go against the wave. This time, I would like to try to see if I can leverage the huge opportunity that I believe is something that's going to be huge. And I'm kind of betting on that era. So we'll see how this plays out. But I think if you're not leveraging AI, you're definitely going to fall behind. So even if it's not your core product, I think every business should consider implementing AI to enhance their core products. What is AI to the average person, right? Because I think like it's only artificial intelligence, but explain it in a bigger sense. Is it that the product learns on its own and is able to adapt in real time? Or what is AI? I guess in maybe your guys' case, because how is AI different from code or what's already existing, right? That's something that I want to figure out or just see how other people think because some people, there's opinions and then there's effects of AI. What do you know about the effects of AI? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's something that we have been using or we have been used to in our lives. But what AI does, in my opinion, is making it easier or automate that. So for example, the technology that we're using is gathering tons of data and then learning from it so that when somebody sticks this, we will know, or when somebody is interested in this, we will know what other topics they're going to be interested in. And we are using that knowledge and information to have better conversations. So it would have been done by humans before. When you're having a conversation with a human tutor, As a tutor, you gauge in and understand the student's needs and you're customizing and personalizing the lesson for the student. But AI, I feel like, and and including machine learning, are allowing that opportunity and experience to be possible without having to rely on humans because we have so much data and we're leveraging it to automate that system and potentially predict what's going to happen in the near term. So we can provide better experiences without having to completely rely on humans. So I do feel like, again, AI could impact every industry in a big way, in a small way. But I do want to be the one using it because I know it's going to be big. And that's exactly what I did when I was in college. I was sticking to the phone for a while. You know, that, let's say, smartphones had been out for maybe four to five years. But I was like trying to stick to the flip phones because I just felt like I just want to be different. But then I was like, oh, I'm going to be starting a tech startup. And if I'm trying to go against the future, I'm not going to be able to innovate or I'm not going to be able to learn as much. So that's kind of lesson I learned where if you personally believe what the future looks like, 
I think you should lean into it instead of leaning away from it. Right. Um, so that's why we're trying to lean into AI instead of running away from it because it is scary. Sure. And one of the reasons why we started this AI is because we were actually afraid of mm -hmm. the fact that someone else was going to do it. So we were providing human tutors before with our previous product. And when these new technologies came out, we asked ourselves, man, this is the future. Someone else is going to do it. And are we going to be disrupted by them or are we going to be the one disrupting other companies? And when we asked those questions, we realized, holy cow, this could be a huge opportunity for us. And because we believed in the future that we see, we wanted to be part of it. So far, I think it's been a great investment for us. We don't know what the future looks like, but we don't have any regrets so far. I like that. I got a couple more questions, June. I know that AI is such a touchy subject. I think like this year, it's been the trending, like most searched mm -hmm. thing on Google or something. But I guess, how does somebody adapt AI into their technology if it wasn't there before? Is it they use ChatGPT from the consumer lens or is it they build AI models? What, what do you think it is? For you or for y'all, is it that you guys have been building AI into the product? And how does somebody do that to begin with either? For consumers and just individuals, I would say there are already tons of products that are leveraging ChatGPT, for example. So you don't have to have the knowledge to learn how to use AI, but pretty much all the companies that you're using already are going to implement AI. So whether you know it or not, you will be exposed to AI. And that's the beautiful part of it, where we don't know exactly how it's being used, but it's actually being used for a lot of the use cases. I think if you are going to be the one like leveraging it and like for your careers, I think it's definitely worth your time investing learning. But if you're not very as interested, then it's totally fine. But whether you know it or not, it will be part of your life, like the internet, like yeah, Google. yeah, it will be part of your life. <laughs> yeah, like scary or just, I don't know, I guess like from the, it could also be the opposite where it's enhancing or uh, positively influencing or affecting. Mm -hmm. A couple more questions here, June. I know this is a good conversation here, but what, um, or what do you guys want to achieve in the future with, with Hollow AI? I know it's still relatively young, right? But there's like got to be a big vision somewhere. So. <laughs> We're just hoping to be a household name in the language learning industry where, hey, I want to become fluent. I want to speak. Then you come to our platform. So we want to be that speaking platform for language learning for all these 2 billion language learners throughout the world. So that's our big vision. We're just really... Yeah, excited to yeah continue to work hard to make that happen, and I think we're getting good momentum and very positive responses. Again, we still don't know what's going to happen with AI, and I think a lot of things will unveil and and play out in the next you know couple of years. I think we're headed in the right direction. How does Hollow make money? Is it off of advertising, or is it off of like? Yeah, we offer a subscription model where you pay twenty dollars per month and unlock all of our premium features, including. You know, unlimited speaking time with AI, you also get feedback, you get an assessment test and receive a certificate, you avoid advertisements and things like that. So very similar to YouTube or Spotify, where you're paying a certain amount of money per month and you get access to all these premium features compared oh, nice. to having to spend $20 per hour to have a lesson with a native tutor on a different tutoring platform. I guess, how do you perceive learning through the AI chat model versus like a human 
because uh, mm-hmm. you know they're both learning, right? But it's like maybe one's more convenient or one's is it awkward? You think at first for people or like is it? Yeah, it has a lot of pros and cons. So the benefits of having a lesson with a native tutor is more natural. It's more personal, and you just have that emotion with the tutor. With AI, the benefits are it's a lot cheaper, faster, and it could be also very structured where you can go through certain lessons based on your level and interest compared to learning in an unstructured way. So the way we see our product with AI is we have figured out the foundation of it where you're able to have conversations and practice speaking. And now we're adding multiple layers to provide better experiences and personalize it. So for example, we're working a lot on content and personalization so that, again, it will know where you're at as a language learner, your level, your interest, so that the conversations are going to be a lot more interesting and curated for you. And we just launched this AI assessment test as well. Um, so <laughs> nice. language learners will be able to assess their speaking skills instantly within 10 minutes and receive very constructive feedback with action items. You'll receive constructive feedback on your fluency, grammar, and vocab. So you know exactly what to work on to improve compared to native tutors providing feedback, which takes tons of time and it costs us a lot of money. Uh, so we're automating that process with AI. And as far as our conversational practice goes, I still think there's a lot of room for improvements, but I think we got that foundation figured out. Are you uh, currently learning a new language right now? or? Do you... Yeah, I'm learning Spanish right now. Oh, wow. Do you just use Holo or just... <laughs> yeah, I just use Holo. Um, I also use Duolingo as well for learning Spanish. For Japanese, I just need to brush up my speaking skills. I'm just using Holo right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, Japanese. You want to get to a point where novice levels or beginner levels will be able to come and use our product to learn new languages. So I don't think we're ready to be able to cover those beginner levels yet. We're super focused on intermediate and advanced levels where people already have some foundation. They just want to practice and speak. They already know the alphabets. But we want to figure out a good way to leverage AI and still cover the novice level and the beginner level so that even if you don't know a single thing about this new language, you will be able to come and start learning. So that area is a huge component that we're excited to work on over the next six months and make sure that we'll be able to provide platforms where new learners will be able to come and start learning new languages. Man, that's that's awesome. <laughs> I guess like we're coming towards the end of the podcast, June, but Last couple of questions we like to ask entrepreneurs are if you could give advice to Junbei at 20 years old in Korea about career stuff, what would you want him to know? Or entrepreneurship stuff, like business stuff, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've made so many mistakes throughout my entrepreneurship journey. So there's so many things that I want to tell my younger self. But one thing I would probably tell the person is that, again, yeah, if you are passionate about your idea and your dreams, it's going to be extremely hard, but it will eventually be worth it. So I encourage everyone who has big dreams to try it and go for it. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard times. But looking back, I just have learned so much faster working and running a startup than working for a big corporation. I'm sure I would have been able to learn a lot from working for big corporations as well. But Running a company 
means you're able to cover the whole aspect of business. You're learning how to hire, you're learning how to manage teams, you're learning how to manage money, you're learning how to sell and build. So it covers the whole spectrum of running a business. So I feel like if you're in your 20s, I would recommend you to learn and start when you don't have a lot of responsibility. (laughs) Um, And then in your 30s, maybe focus on your strength and building some as much as you can. And then in your 40s, try to invest in other people. So my goal, one of my goals is to retire in the next two to three years financially so I can do other things. I would love to help other entrepreneurs and and provide value with whether my capital or knowledge or experience. Man, that's awesome. I got another question that's popped into my mind, which was, why do you think that, or actually I'll ask the first one. So the next question that I wanted to ask you was, what would your 20-year-old self say to you right now? Because I think like it'd be cool to not only rewind for like time travel backwards, but I guess for the past to travel here, like what do you think they'd say to you now about just whatever's yeah. happened or anything? I would say I'm very proud of you, (laughs) I would say. And I would say I'm very glad that you're still at it. You know, it takes a lot of guts. And and again, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship when I was 20, for example. I'm 32 now. It's been, I guess, 32 years since. And I think I have a lot of respect for every entrepreneur in a way that I just know how hard it is to build a successful business. And whether it's successful or not, I think there's a lot that comes with it. I'm just glad that I'm still at it and I'm very proud of myself and I'm proud of all the entrepreneurs that are out there too. One thing, June, is what do you think it is about, you know, hitting 30 years old that people, I have a lot of friends or I've had one friend say that, yeah, before I'm 30, I'm going to start a company. Is that like a culture thing? Or do you think that maybe it's a youth, like you personally just had numbers associated with success, right? What do you think 30 is a magic number for a lot of people saying that? So it also is based on the metrics out there in the market where a lot of entrepreneurs between 29 and 32 are the ones that are starting a company. And it's surprising that there are a lot of entrepreneurs in their 40s and 50s as well. Maybe it's not surprising, but it was surprising to me because nowadays people want to start their own business in their 20s Mm -hmm. and early 30s. So I think age is definitely a like it's just a number when it comes to starting a business. But I feel like the sooner you start, the better, where you're able to put like your soul, your blood and everything into the company, mm-hmm. give everything you've got without having to worry about your family. Oh, right, right, right. Your, your kids, you know, if you have a family, that's a lot of responsibility. So, and I think there are many variables to it. Also, just <laughs> now I look back and reflect, it would be a lot more, emotionally easier if you had some piled up. So let's say you're in your early 30s, you have a few hundred thousand dollars in your savings, then I think you have a lot more leverage. But if you're like super young and you (laughs) have like a few thousand dollars in your bank account, your life is dependent on this business. So that could be really risky. So like, for example, if I were to start my next company, feel like it would be so much easier where I would have a lot more resources and it's not going to be that I will solely depend on this business for myself and for my family. Right. Um, so I think there are pros and cons of starting in their 20s and 30s and 40s in different ways. Absolutely. One, one quick question that we like to ask people is, 
if you could have a dinner with, you know how maybe Warren Buffett does like the annual auction dinner, mm-hmm. who would you pick to have a dinner with in terms of like a business setting or just even life setting, just hang out with somebody over a dinner <laughs> that you might not know right now, but you'd think that would be fun to do? Oh, that's a great question. I follow a lot of people and I'm trying to learn from them as much as I can. If I could pick just one person. Personally, I like Elon Musk. (laughs) I think Jack Ma is also amazing where he has a very humble beginning. Yeah, KFC guy, right? He got rejected. KFC guy, yeah. And he just says that he's not the smartest. And I just see myself in them where I'm not the smartest, but I'm not dumb. But I'm very hardworking and I'm very ambitious. So I like entrepreneurs that have gone through what I'm going through. Yeah. And that have similar traits, I would say. Um, so hard work, resilience, those traits that I value. So I would love to talk to Elon or Jack Ma. <laughs> <laughs> One last question, June, is if you could tell us your startup mindset, what would you say it is? My startup mindset is... Sorry, I'll, I'll have to think about no, it. Something cool is going to come out. <laughs> yeah, so my startup mindset is I just enjoy what I do. I mean, people probably think that it's overhyped to say that, like, find what you love and do what you love. But I think there's a lot that goes into it where when you're enjoying your job, when you're enjoying what you're doing, it just becomes part of your life and you're just having a lot of fun. And that's why I have been able to keep going for more than five years. I mean, five years, is, it's not a short time. It's a long time. Right. And, and one of the reasons why I was able to keep going is because I just love what I do. And despite all the challenges I have, I still enjoy the learning aspect of it. So I think my startup mindset is just, I love what I do. That's how you're able to overcome all the challenges you're going to be facing as an entrepreneur. Man, I like that a lot. Well, June, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you and learning about Hollow AI and just anything that you have put into the company. It's such a thing to fathom, really, you know? I think, I think, I guess like I find myself thinking about like a lot of people I talk to and what they made, but yeah, it's always just like, wow, this was not existent in 20, I guess, 18 or something, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. And now it's helping people learn languages, which is hard to believe, right? Like, like yeah. Yeah, that's hard to do. So kudos to you and the, the whole team. Yeah, last part here is how do people learn more about you and Hollow? Maybe learn a new language or something like that. Yeah, check out our website. It's hollow.ai, H-A-L-L-O dot A-I. That's our website. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Junbei. I'm the only Junbei that's uh, available <laughs> on LinkedIn. So yeah, I would love to connect and help you guys learn new languages. Thank you, June. This, is, this has been a really great conversation. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Thanks. 